Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our inside-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's great to have you with us. Have you ever wondered what really goes on behind closed doors in e-commerce teams at major CPGs? What really drives omni-channel strategy for some of the biggest names in the industry? What are they focusing on? What trends do they have on their radar? What tools and metrics do they use? And what's working for them right now? Well, you are in luck because in this episode, we are lifting the lid on precisely these questions to give you a look behind the curtain at two major players in CPG, the Coca-Cola company and B&G Foods, and explore just how they are winning in the omni-channel right now. My guests are Katie Neal, Director of Connected Commerce at the Coca-Cola Company, Matthew Wemple, Director for Digital Retail Growth, also at the Coca-Cola Company, and Neha Malik, Director of E-Commerce and Digital Marketing at B&G Foods. Welcome, everyone, and let's jump straight in. And on the Digital Shelf cast, we always like to get a sense of our guests' personal online shopping habits before we start talking about the wider industry trends. So I would love to know, what's the last item you bought online? Where did you buy it? And was there anything that stood out to you about the buying experience? And Neha, I'm going to come to you first on this. What's the last thing you bought? So with pandemic and with the convenience in mind and the safety and health in mind, I've become an Instacart shopper by heart. So my last shopping was on Instacart groceries for my house. You know, I had to commend that team on how they've created the entire infrastructure. Their app works fantastic um, and it makes it so convenient to add, delete or look at the options that you might have as a consumer. So it's been great. I have been an avid user and that was my last purchase. Some things that I think they always seem to get that one thing incorrect every now and then. And uh, so there's, of course, just a bit of challenges that that are very small and that can be worked through. But that was my last purchase. Fantastic. How about you, Katie? What's the last thing you bought online? Well, we have Amazon delivering to our house nearly daily since the beginning of the pandemic. I will say we were heavy Amazon before the pandemic, but now we become nearly daily users of that. And so I have two children at home who come home daily with different needs for urgent items. And so it's become our go-to for me to be able to source whatever they need to prohibit me from having to run to all the different shops to get what I need. I know I can go to one place and look at the variety of folks offering different prices and variety and typically have it delivered exactly when they say it's going to. So I find it as a very reliable source for us. And it also provides a really wide variety for us. Um, So it saves on that end. It doesn't take away from the in st- I'm a big, I love shopping. I love grocery shopping. I love identifying new things when I'm there. But for the on-demand need, Amazon 
completely meets the needs of my family. Fantastic. And I think what you were saying there about those daily Amazon deliveries, I think quite a few of our listeners will be able to relate to that. Um, So you are a regular Amazon shopper. Was there anything in particular that you've bought recently, any recent items that stood out to you? I recently bought for my daughter three different workout tops and then also some light bulbs that are able to be charged and they work when your power goes out within lamps. So it was rechargeable batteries. I saw that based on an influencer recommendation and thought it was genius. And we get a lot of tough weather where I live. And so it would be nice to illuminate some spaces other than candles. It sounds fantastic. A nice bit of social commerce angle in there as well. Exactly. Matthew, what's the last thing that you bought online? You've got kind of a boring answer and an interesting answer. So the boring one, like Neha, I've shopped on Instacart recently More though for my mother. So I'm in New York City. My mother's a couple of hours upstate in New York. And she and I both can shop for her. And my sister-in-law can help out as well. So between the three of us, we can get her uh, grocery needs sorted from afar. And we can see all of the changes or if there's some substitutions that need to be made. And then make sure she's got what she needs from afar and safely. So that's um, it's an interesting way to have gotten around the uh, the pandemic, especially for a person in their 80s who's by themselves, and we're not right there to uh, to help you know either in store with her or you know verbally with her. More interesting though, because I love to kind of play with everything digital, everything online, and just see how things work and all different types of uh, offers that are out there. We're traveling in Europe currently, and the hotel that we're in right now. We've been able to actually order uh, or request a remote control for the room and some additional towels through the hotel's app. And obviously this leads then to all the other types of things you can get either in the hotel or by request externally. Um, So I think it's fascinating, not just in the types of grocery shopping or regular retail that we're thinking about, but some of these other sort of areas where folks can, can access the things they need through digital means. Fantastic. And a very nice broad spread of of items. I'm I'm very impressed. Now, we are having this conversation in September 2021, roughly 18 months after the coronavirus pandemic really started to hit and brought sweeping changes for shoppers, for retailers, for brands, for digital teams, for everyone, really. So I don't think we can really talk about what's next in Omnichannel without reflecting on what has just happened to Omnichannel. Matthew, can you just give us a sense of how the Coca-Cola company experienced the pandemic and specifically what it meant for your omni-channel strategy? What changed or accelerated for you? Yeah, I think acceleration is is the key word there. There were some fundamentals and some things that we had in place and some ways of working that we'd sort of kicked off as a wider team or or a number of teams all working on omni-channel strategy, Um, Katie leading a lot of that as well. But the acceleration of the way consumers were reaching our brands through retailers, be it omni-channel or online only, made us have to really react very quickly and make very in-the-moment decisions regarding how we wanted to present ourselves online. And I think the company did a fantastic job in those immediate moments, um, sort of at peak pandemic and peak reaction to pandemic, to, to pivot, to prioritize where we needed to, to get the most out of the investments that we could, and to obviously sort of redirect any investments to make sure we were meeting consumers where they are. But I I, I would yield to Katie for for any more color on that too. And so I'll come to you next then, Katie. Building on on the question that that Matthew's just tackled, could you perhaps also reflect on what perhaps changed within the team and with your roles specifically? Um, And it'd be great also if you could perhaps briefly explain how connected commerce, which is what you're doing, 
differs from digital retail growth, which is what Matthew is doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with connected commerce and how we think about that. So, you know, Coca-Cola has been around for a while. Uh, One of our founding chairmen, Robert Woodruff, about 100 years ago, said that Coca-Cola should always be within an arm's reach of desire. So I think 100 years ago, you think about that and putting Coca-Cola available everywhere to enjoy a Coke in its ice cold, perfect form as we knew it then. You know, fast forward 100 years, And the way we talk about connected commerce is really that. It's how do we, from an end-to-end perspective of a consumer's journey, drive growth for our brands online and offline. And so that shows up with investments in digital media that drive to a transaction. It shows up in experimentation as shopper. Everything in your social feed is now shoppable. We can even put QR codes on bus shelters and have a Coke ready for you at your next stop. So the ability for us to put a Coca-Cola product within an arm's reach of desire in an instant way with technology is really the philosophy that we're going after, especially as we're thinking about all emerging platforms overall. All of what we do within Connected Commerce and my team is really thinking about what are the consumption rituals for why people buy and drink Coca-Cola? And what we saw with the pandemic is that there were new activities at home really driven by digitization, right? Homeschool, working from home, online socialization. These are new consumption rituals that we never, as a marketing organization, leaned into. And so we really had to figure out, okay, how do we think about getting our products in their hands through these new channels and opportunities? Meanwhile, as Matthew said, we've got to be very strategic around our investments, how we're creating very seamless and frictionless experiences so that the ease of buying our product and getting it delivered to you or picking it up is as easy as we can make it from a proposition perspective. And then for all of our customers and retailers that carry our product, tremendous change over the last years. And so my team spends quite a bit of time working with those media partners or retail media networks in the transaction space you know, and the power there is their first party data and how we can just strategically use that to make sure we're connecting our brands to our consumers. And Neha, how did this look like for you at B&G Foods? How did the pandemic affect what you were doing in the omni-channel? What changed? What accelerated for you? Yeah, so I would probably say it's not necessarily that I would say what changed for us, but to everyone's point, I think it certainly accelerated it for us. As a company, we very quickly realized that we need to meet the customer demand. And if anyone knows BNG, you would know that we play just about in every aisle of the store. Um, So what we had to, as a company, figure out is how do we accelerate ourselves? To Katie's point, how do you meet your consumer where the consumer is? And as everything very quickly became at home, if you will, we had to ensure that we were there when someone's thinking breakfast, someone's thinking lunch, So all day parts and how do we ensure that our brands, hence our products, show up within the search, uh, within the ecosystem that the consumer's in as the grocery became so prominent uh, due to the health issues and the scares, everyone wanted everything delivered at home. So the challenge for us was how do we ensure that our items are the ones that are making it the basket and hence uh, conversion and hence retention. Because as we all know, we quickly have now moved on to where we buy again from our existing baskets. So that's what accelerated. We needed to ensure that our content is best in class. We needed to ensure the omni-channel connectivity to Katie's point. 
how do we play well and partner with our retail merchant partners and then also internally with our internal partners to ensure the contents there, the keywords, the optimization, uh, the shelf, and how do we scale everything all at once. So very quickly, it forced us to accelerate to a whole new level. And both you and Katie talked about some of the changes in shopper behavior. Some of those new rituals, I think, is how you refer to those. Katie, where are we now in terms of shopper behavior? What's returned back to normal in terms of how shoppers discover, choose and buy products? What remains different? Katie, what's your sense of where we're at right now? Well, what we've definitely seen is that online shoppers, particularly as we think about their trip missions, which is an old school way to think about it, but when you compare a stock up, so your weekly stock up that you typically would have done in store to what you're doing now with your Instacart order delivering, we're seeing that the online shopper, that's delivering more than double from a, a sales perspective. And so there are some behaviors that seem to be more about touching and feeling in store and being very list driven versus the exploration that you find. And you know we're taking a look at it as how to intercept the shopper in a digital environment to let them know there's brands that they may not have known were from Coca-Cola that might meet a, a need for breakfast or for snack time and how they think about it overall. So motivation for the consumer has definitely been, been a big change in how they discover our brands. The same goes for what we call grab and go. So that kind of quick pickup and how that happens. When you might go to a convenience store to get a, a sandwich and a Coca-Cola is very different than how you might order it from GoPuff and you might want to ladder on, hey, I'm having friends over for happy hour. Let's make sure I have all the mixers I need. So you have a mindset there. Same thing, twice the average ticket size when you're ordering online for quick needed in a couple of hour items than if you physically went into the store to satisfy what you want for lunch today. So those are very interesting trends that we're taking a look at the behavior and drivers of shoppers within those two environments to see how we continue to make sure we're meeting them with the right messaging and opportunity to continue to encourage them to buy brands throughout our whole portfolio. And Neha, I'd love your take on this as well, because as you said, B&G is present in, in a wide range of categories. What are you seeing in terms of shopper behavior that remains changed and what's perhaps gone back to pre-COVID behaviors? Yeah, so I think from the shopper behavior perspective for us, I think one thing that's changed is convenience in a huge way. So while in the early stages, while there were reasons that someone was not going to a supermarket or outside, but now it's turned somewhat into how to um, how what's most convenient for someone. And as a company, what we've been able to do is how do we bring the meal solution to someone? How do we ensure that if someone's thinking a taco night or Hispanic products, that it's our brands that show up to the top. It's how do we bring a recipe together? So we've as a company focused on a lot, a lot on, you know, whether we're the baking experts. So anything, if someone is going to make a pie at home, how do they know that we have all the products that they uh, might possibly need? Similarly, if they have a dinner that they're trying to plan for, how do we show up and show them here's the recipe and here's all the items and then how do we conveniently navigate them through the, their shopper journey regardless of wherever they are whether it's online through amazon or instacarts of the world or going into their retailer of their choice in their neighborhood 
So we are keeping that in mind. It's how do we make it convenient? How do we bring that ease of shopping? And how do we meet them for the convenience, everything that they need, and while we keep the quality and everything else in mind? Fantastic. And I think that theme around convenience coming through quite strongly from from both of you there. Let's zoom out a little bit then and maybe talk about your overarching omni-channel strategies. Matthew, if you had to encapsulate in a sentence where your omni-channel strategy is right now, what would that sentence say? What are your priorities? Yeah, I always like to remind them operations is even more important with the influence of changing digital ecosystems and, and shopper behaviors than it ever has been and understanding what e-commerce means in the physical world. So online through offline is going to be what enables sustained success for brands. And Julia, can I touch on a, a, an, er, an earlier point in the question Absolutely. that you'd asked? Absolutely, go ahead. Yeah, uh, around connected commerce and comparing to digital retail growth and really what digital retail growth means is basically e-commerce, but on the operations side and working with retailers to make sure that not only as, you know, Katie and the connected commerce team are working upper and middle funnel, but middle and lower funnel in the real world are supported and defined strategies are enabled to make sure that we can get the things to people so that we can be not only within an arm's reach of desire, but within a click's reach of desire and be a reason why consumers or shoppers would come back either to our D2C functions or to the retailers of their choice. I think it's a very useful addition. I'm really pleased that you jumped in on that and added that. And, and Katie, just to quickly build on that, as far as your team is concerned, what is your strategic priority at the moment that you and your team is working towards? Absolutely. So we think about the end-to-end consumer journey, about the right message at the right time to the right audience. And it's about a consumer's journey to drive awareness of our brands, to drive trial, and ultimately that long-term brand love. And nestled in there is transaction and commerce, right? Buying and driving that to be always on their list to buy and repeat that purchase and become brand loyalists. So we think about omnichannel in a very full way, So that signals of somebody being interested in our brand, maybe they saw a social post. Well, that tells us they're interested in our brand. And if we serve them as a social media ad that's shoppable and lets them with a swipe buy that product, well, then we've really made sure that their journey of interest is cumulative based on their actions and the signals that they've given us for interest in our brand. So we've really got to think about that full omni-channel strategy to make sure we're making the smartest investments to the right audience based on um, where they are in their journey to interact with our brands. And Neha, I'm going to ask you that same slightly impossible question, which is to encapsulate your omni-channel strategy in one sentence. You're allowed a little bit more than one sentence as well, but just give us a sense of what your strategic priorities are at the moment. You know, um, to your point, I think if I were to say one thing, I would probably say best in, being best in class. So that's what we're thriving towards. And in order, and if I can elaborate on that, is, you know, if you think of your flywheel, your ecosystem, of having your best content and how do you deploy it and then your physical shelf and how do you measure and ensure it's correct, your UI, your UX and the connectivity to the consumer. And as you go through then the data analytics and see how it works your entire journey. And I, I am a big fan of how do you then have the connectivity through the digital aspect as in your websites and 
and the SEO and, and the connectivity there with the, with the customer that you are the subject matter expert uh, when it comes to educating about whether it's a product or a service. So for us, that has been a very important journey that we've been on and ensuring that we are uh, playing along the entire flywheel and the ecosystem and doing what's right in order to provide the consumer what they're looking for. So they, it's easy for them to make a decision whether the product's good or not. Are they resolving for what they're looking for? And it fits within their shopping behavior and their shopping journey. To me, that's been the most important as an organization and even outside as we look at what's there to what takes for someone to succeed as an organization is that all angles of shelf and content and deployment and optimization, share of voice, share of, share of search, how do you grow, how do you grow your share, and how do you ensure that your products rise to the top? So that's been our journey, and that's been for us the most important and able to be, to be able to win within the digital shelf. I'm interested then in what that looks like for you on a day-to-day basis. So talk us through a typical day, Neha. When you log in on a Monday morning, what's the first thing you look at? What are the metrics you would always want to have front and center? Yeah, so I think lately it's almost like going backwards, if you will, for us personally is starting with share of search, share of voice, and is the share there? But even more importantly, from the retailer merchant partners perspective, are we meeting their needs? Each one of us retailers, as we know, have scorecards that they look at. So are we auditing our consumer platforms to ensure that our products are accurate? Are we meeting the standards and the needs that the retailers have put forward for us? And then our internal ecosystem to ensure, do we have once an item, whether it's a new item introduction or if it's an existing item that we're working towards, ensuring that we have the right images, do we have the right content? Do we have all the keywords that are, uh, that are enablers in order for the journey to be, to be accurate? Are we meeting the digital shelf? So that, to answer your question, on a given typical day, it's kind of following a, a, an item, if you will, from start to the finish, ensuring that it's meeting all the needs and the requirements that the industry and the standards that are put forth for us these days. And you know, for any of us, whether it's Katie, Matthew, or any, any other, as we look at it, this, that's been our biggest challenge, right? That you show up with an item the way the consumer would like it to be. And they look at it and say, whether it's from ratings and reviews, whether it's from the features and benefits of the item, whether you have the right labels. So am I meeting a diet uh, requirements, things like that. So ultimately, and I think you'll hear me see this, say this over and over, it's the convenience and everything that a consumer is looking for in a journey and in a product, you're providing that on a daily basis. So Monday morning till Friday afternoon, that's exactly what we look for. Am I meeting those requirements for a consumer? It sounds like a very long list of demands to consider on a, on a daily basis. Matthew, what does that look like for you? Um, and does what Neha has just outlined, does that resonate with, with what you're looking at? Or are there perhaps other metrics that you are really focused on as well? Yeah, that definitely resonates. I think the only thing I'd add there or, or say that, that we're also doing is making sure that the lead metrics and lag metrics, A, tell the same story, and then that B we adjust correctly, but with the right amount of time in between. I think because of how rapidly you can make changes, this might have caused maybe some internal thinking about maybe should we 
make changes that quickly. And I think maybe going forward, we're, we're also considering letting strategies play out and giving a little bit more time to truly understand how shopper behavior is changing as a product of what we've introduced to them and how has changed. That's very interesting. And actually staying with you on that, Matthew, for a moment, what are the kind of tools that you would use as you look at some of these metrics? And are there any new tools that you've perhaps recently added to your arsenal that, uh, that you could perhaps share? Yeah, I think things to measure effectiveness very, very tactically, like of, of, of digital shelf and how we're presented and then how we can translate the data that we get back internally in ways that are easy to understand and act upon is a little bit of the secret sauce there. So when you think about tools for measurement of um, everything from sort of share of voice, search, and even just, you know, do our, our does our content match what, what our standards would be across retailer platforms and at aggregate. Sometimes translating some of that information back is a little bit difficult in its sort of native language. So we, we bring it to a place where we sort of retranslate that internally and make sure that teams responsible are able to understand the information and then are obviously then empowered to make those changes. As a central team, obviously we, we kind of can't own all of that for you know all the customers we're represented through. So I think that's a little bit of one of the things that stands out for us is you know just exactly how we're working with some of the teams that we're, that there are independent and interdependencies with. Got it. And Katie, would that be fairly similar for you as well? Are there any specific metrics and tools from a connected commerce point of view that you would look at that perhaps wouldn't be a priority for Matthew? So all of what Matthew said definitely applies in. I think there's a couple other areas that we'll broadly take a look at. And those metrics are things that you check in sometimes not on a weekly basis, but more on a maybe quarterly basis. So a lot of that might have to do more with the attitudinal Metrics, if you think about how our audiences think and feel, and that might show up as awareness or favorability towards your brand. The second area might be more around what I might call behavioral. So what are the audiences doing? We do get a lot of that in the data as we think about what was the click-through rate? Did they buy? Did they abandon carts? So some of that shows up there, but it also has to do with causality that's driving that. So why, what were the drivers and where can we, to Neha's example of understanding the life of a consumer through the life of a product, what else can we do to make sure that that frictionless you know, happens? So there's data, but there's also a qualitative component to that. And then just hard business results. So ROI, especially in the media and investment world is definitely where we're looking for efficiency and effectiveness and making sure that when we're making, we're investing and making our brands findable, shoppable, making them aware and interrupting, that it is worth the investment to drive our business. And we think about that differently for some of our brands that have been around for a while versus a brand new brand. So different strategies and different measurement, but mainly fall within those those three buckets. Very interesting. And I like what you said about keeping an eye on ROI. Are you finding that there are certain metrics that CPGs are in danger of either overvaluing or undervaluing? So I think within the e-commerce space, the ability to measure accurately, everybody is working toward that capability. The traditional metrics of multi-touch attribution and marketing mix modeling are being met with fragmentation, some walled gardens of data, and how that can be taken into consideration. So when you think about the halo effect of 
all of the consumer touch points you're in, you're investing in and trying to understand exactly what did they contribute to your sale of that point of it. Everybody's trying to figure out this area and there's a lot of analytic tools on the marketplace that I think everybody's trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. I think the biggest question is, it does MMM meet the needs of e-commerce or does a custom and analytics feed into that piece? And so I don't know if it's over-rotating. I think it is how do we explore what's the best product that we can get with the measurement that's out there in the marketplace or in our case, kind of created through our internal capabilities overall. So it's it keeps us on our toes to make sure we're not missing any analytics or metrics that we should be taking a look at, but also not over-indexing into those that are really not giving us the why to help us have predictive modeling be successful going forward. Hey, while we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you. Here's a question for you. Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance, but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale. eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy-to-use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals. Now I want to change tack a little bit and get you to just reflect on your relationships with retailers at the moment. And Neha, I'm going to come to you first on this. When you talk to your retail partners at the moment, what are they focused on? What do they want to know from brand owners like yourself? I, I think they're looking, most of the retailers and the interaction that I have had is they're coming to us as the the experts within our particular respective categories, if you will. They want us to be able to enable them to tell what the consumer is looking for. And then hence, how do you grow the household penetration? How do you bring consumer who are new to the brand? How do you look at the offline share versus online share? And how do you evaluate for the how, the when, and the why so in most of our relationships and the partnerships, it's how do they then win with the Instacarts and the ships of the world or the last mile partnerships, uh, wherever they may be, whether it's GoPuff or Uber, wherever you are uh, within that. How do you measure the ROAS and then ultimately convert them to uh, gaining share? So those are the joint and the uh, the discussions that we're all having and ultimately, of course, the scorecard that scorecarding, if you will, that I referred to earlier to ensure that we're meeting all of their shelf standards. So I think as 
you know, if you look at a grocery in particular, as opposed to a health and beauty versus some other categories, I think grocery is probably towards the latter. I think health and beauty has advanced much farther and, and, and quicker. So when you look at the grocery mindset, it's how do we quickly adapt to the change and how do we quickly accelerate to meet the consumer demand? So those are the bigger, very high level discussions to say, you know, how do you, the ease of baskets and then how do you uh, then monetize? And I think I heard Katie say that, you know, I'm big on how do you monetize your your social media platforms to where if you're introducing a new item, whether it's a retailer doing it or whether it's a manufacturer doing it, how do you make it convenient from a advertisement? How does the consumer take it directly from there, add to the cart, convert? So it's just, again, you know, you're going to hear this from me over and over again, where it's the convenience. It's the lesser the clicks, the better it is. And how do you collectively get there? Absolutely. Convenience, convenience, convenience. Matthew, what are the kinds of questions that you are getting from retailers at the moment? And are there perhaps any examples of new digital initiatives that you have launched with retailers recently that you could share? Yeah, on the first part, I think it's it's really interesting to, I think, well, first you've got to kind of define who or which team at the retailer are you, are you speaking with? As this space evolves, we see, obviously, just like with any organization, a lot of times the media team and the buying team, like the actual category desk, are potentially disconnected and and potentially have competing priorities, right? And for brands and manufacturers, obviously, this gets kind of just challenging, but also expensive uh, over time. So when we're speaking with a retail media team, obviously they've got goals and objectives that we want to help them hit. And they've got some really great capabilities to do some of the things in the upper and middle funnel. But ultimately, if middle and lower funnel aren't working for us, actual e-commerce and then operationally in-store, if we're not adding to the growth of the category that we play in still through those tactics, then you know we have to question, are we actually being the type of partner that we want to be, that we set out to be, and, and that I think the, the retail partner wants us to be as well. So really the conversation for us is about stepping back and saying, how does the, the introduction or how do, we, how do we utilize these types of omni-channel tactics and strategies in our broader joint business planning and collaborative business planning and say, uh, instead of having that conversation separately, make sure that it's incorporated, make sure that the value exchange across all of these types of strategic initiatives is, is, is being recognized and ultimately delivers something to the consumer or shopper that is world-class, adds to the category, and then drives all the goals that, that all the teams are focused on. And on that point of recent initiatives, is there anything that comes to mind that where you were able to take that kind of approach? Yeah, we've got some initiatives in market and I think still some in development around the retail application of what we'd call immediate consumption. Um, so there's some really great partners, be it third party, be a party like GoPuff and or our retail partners who are helping us continue to, to realize the success of kind of refreshing the moment. So while you might not think of an omni-channel shop that's going to be delivered a day or so or a few hours later as exactly correlative to the effectiveness of that cooler at checkout, that kind of triggers or reminds you of refreshment moment and makes it super easy to realize that refreshment. There are some means and tactics that we're exploring. I think that's going to be really a big breakthrough for us. So how do we, you know, pull on the levers of the core and traditional shop, the things that the folks went there to get, 
things that they might have gotten elsewhere that they might be able to find in the digital retail environment and utilize through Click and Collect? And then how do we make sure that should a beverage occasion exist, we're the brand of choice? And I think some of those new tools and tactics are, like I said, still in development, a couple in flight, and, and we're excited to see those get stood up at scale. Very interesting. I think we'll all keep a very close eye on what might be coming to market from you in that area. But Katie, there is a flip side to this, isn't there? It's not just that the relationships with retailers are becoming potentially more fragmented and and more complex, but also from a consumer point of view, there are more and more points of purchase. There are different marketplaces, different routes to purchase. How do you approach building relationships with consumers in this fragmented environment? And how do you ensure they get a consistent brand experience from you across those various touch points? Absolutely. That's definitely where our end-to-end consumer journey and model comes into play. It is really intended to make sure that the right message meets the right audience at the right time. And that takes coordination. It's a simple statement. But it is truly how we embrace and say, where are all the touch points of the engagement? And it's 100% focused on being consumer first. So what comes into play there is anything where they may experience our brands, whether that is getting a sample at a music festival and trying a new flavor of Coca-Cola, and then being able to go home and, and seeing at a convenience store and saying, I love this, you should try it. And then seeing a social post of where people are celebrating a new flavor or how to make it into their a mixer for a happy hour. All of those are touch points. Again, it's cumulative, but it's built on end to end. So we make sure that our core ideas of brands really have enough tentacles so that as the consumer you know, interacts with our brands in different ways. We have something that's on point for what we want to say, but in new and fresh ways based on the environment where we're connecting with them. And if then when it's the right time, how do we make sure that through a very one seamless click, they can buy the product or if they see it in store, they're incentivized to purchase. But you've got to have that full journey in mind versus planning in silos with interaction because you you could tend to step on top of the messaging that you've got in a marketplace. You could oversaturate. There's a lot. So our end-to-end coordination with the consumer, we, we have this saying of imagine the consumers sitting in the room with you when you're developing these plans. What would they say about the natural interaction with your brand and how that comes to life? And so we had a practice when we were in the office of putting an empty chair in the room of saying, is this something, would a consumer really say this? And then we also ask consumers a lot. We vet it through research. We make sure that our panels that we keep based on different demographics of shoppers and consumers are really engaged in the right way to keep us honest and focused on a consumer first brand organization that really wants to make sure that everybody's refreshed throughout their day and you know has options within our portfolio of brands. I like the idea of having the empty chair there to represent the, the consumer. Neha, if we're looking ahead to the next, say, 12 months, what are some of the key shopper trends or trends around digital behaviours that are on your radar right now? What are you paying close attention to at the moment? Yeah, so I would say our focus is, to Matthew's point, the, the full funnel digital strategy and the activations we're evaluating every step of the way to see there's a need for, for our different brands and different consumers and retailers to be in different parts of that journey. In some way, maybe top of the funnel, be in some way, maybe in the middle of the funnel, 
are the bottom of the funnel, how are we ideally partnering with the retailers on the paid media to win at search, sponsored search, et cetera? How are we partnering with the retailers, again, to win with ROAS and ultimately the share? How do we grow the household penetration, continued growth there? And the new to brand is huge for us. So we do a lot of consumer persona studies to understand where we are in that journey and where we want to head uh, within that journey. So that, as you look at the future, becomes our infrastructure at large to continue and acquire, continue to convert and then retain. And then ultimately, how do you create the lifetime value of that consumer through that journey that I just walked you through? So that's the ultimate goal for us right now and looking ahead for next 12 months. And if we're thinking about some specific digital trends and staying with you, Neha, there for, for a second, there's obviously a lot of buzz around social commerce. We've already talked about this at various points during this discussion. There's lots of buzz around live stream shopping as well. Um, lots of buzz around D2C and subscription models. How important do you think these trends or buzzwords are? How much of a focus are they for you? They are uh, very much a focus. I think the way we look at it is maybe a little different than some of the, like I said, health and uh, beauty care, et cetera. But for us, social, as I mentioned, it, it's hugely important is how do you how do you monetize it to add to cart as far as, you know, that, so that's your social commerce journey. To Katie's point, how do you deliver that message? But more importantly for us, the way it's different is how do you create around the recipe how do you bring that idea to life where if I'm thinking dinner or lunch or dinner or wherever you are within the day part is how do we bring that ease to say, I just couldn't, can't think of I'm, I'm headed home from work or I am working from home and now you have dinner on your mind. How do we then capture you to say, here's an all-encompassing recipe. All you need to do is add to cart and then check out. And how do we bring our family of products to life by doing so? And then take that thought process out. So be the thought leadership uh, within the consumer mind and, and bring the, or, or taking that, I guess the other way to look at it would be, how do we take that thinking away from them and bring the convenience to them and say, here's the package recipe, here's what you need. Here's how you shop, check out, and off you go to cooking and baking and whatever have you on your mind. So to us, that's kind of the journey, and that's what we're focused towards. Very interesting. Matthew, same question for you. If you think about the big trends over the next 12 months, what's on your radar? And perhaps you could also briefly reflect on some of those buzzwords we just talked about, D2C, subscriptions, live stream shopping, social commerce. Yeah, I think um, for me, I'm, I'm really interested a little bit more in the macro side. So one topic within that is as the millennial generation continues to gain buying power and the generation behind them gets ready to, to be established shoppers as well, what needs to change to meet those demands and the behaviors that they have sort of rooted or have come up through, you know, becoming a buyer of things, right? As a, a young person to young adult, into adulthood, and et cetera, with family, and so on. So w one of the insights we got early on with, with our partners at, at GoPuff was as their shopper sort of graduated and moved on, they had a college, you know, an urban college sort of focus in, initially. But those buyers, those, those shoppers became 
adults and had families and they started to get requests for things like diapers and stuff on the platform. So that's really triggered a thought going way back and in, in, in then into the future on as that generation continues to gain that buying power, how do we need to adjust? And what will things that are just sort of commonplace to them mean in their adult shopping behavior? So how do they select, first, how do they find things? How do they select things? How do purchasing decisions happen given all the things that are going on in their lives with digital shopping at least being one of those things? Very interesting. Katie, what's on your radar in terms of trends that are coming down the track for the next 12 months? Just to build on Matthew's point there, we're spending a lot of time thinking about Gen Z and their relationship with commerce and the evolving opportunity of their influence within the household on buying and then the independence and when that comes within their buying decisions. And so we maintain a pretty regular test and learn or innovation pipeline as we look at new ways, new trends as they pop up in order to reach you know, all of our shoppers, but really with a deeper understanding, as Matthew had said, of as shoppers evolve in a digital first you know, economy, how are, that influence and that purchase power is rapidly changing and our ability to connect with them. So we um, lean into innovation. It's a priority that we've established as a, as a company overall, but you also can't chase after every shiny object You've got to make sure it strategically has an objective and there's solid measurement on the back end to make sure that you're really driving to a transaction, but keeping the consumer in mind for that frictionless and seamless experience. I'm very interested in what you were just saying there about Gen Z. From the research you've done and the exploration you've done around that topic, are there any sort of nuggets you can share around how that cohort, that demographic, differs in their expectations or perhaps digital behaviors from millennials and older cohorts? So we're still diving into that to understand how it relates to our business specifically. I do think that there is a breakdown within any of our the generations, whether it's Generation Z or millennial. There are sub-segments. As you think about 13 to 18 is very different than an 18 to 24 and where they are in their life, their access to buying and their influence of of decision-making. And so that's where we're taking a look and saying, what are strategies for an 18 to 13 versus an 18 to 24? And where we meet them, one of the nuggets that I found most interesting when we looked at that 13 to 18 is the huge influence that they have on what is bought by their parents in the digital, in the e-commerce space. And I live that every day when I hand my phone to one of my kids and they add the Instacart order, right? So we think that that that's a here and now. What trends can only tell you kind of predictive modeling of where it is. What we don't know is the next gen of commerce applications or ability to intersect to drive them to buy and where that will live. And so that's where we have to understand the habits and influence of the consumers so that when opportunities come up to say, maybe we should test and see what shoppable TikTok is, right? Is that a relevant space for our beverages? Those are the type of things that you got to keep at the you know, forefront of your mind as you're looking at places and spaces to interact and drive to sale. 
Fascinating. Now, we are nearly out of time, but at the end of each episode, we always ask our guests to give our listeners one piece of actionable advice they can use in their own digital strategy today. And we'll call this your hashtag 20 second smarts. Neha, I'll come to you first. What's your one essential piece of advice for our listeners on how CPGs can win in Omnichannel right now? Well, that's a tough one. 20 seconds. I would probably say, again, I'll stick to my theme of the recording today is always provide the convenience to your consumer that they're looking for. So you make it easy for them because everyone's life's so complex right now. And then for us as the individuals who are driving through that journey, I would say, listen to what your consumer is telling you where they want to be. And as we meet, you know, for us as a company at B&G, we play in so many different categories and brands that we have to meet different, whether it's millennial or older cohort or wherever we are, you know, some may like to bake more versus the other from the generational gap or the way they make their meals. So it's always open to listening, open to the, the tools that are available for us from the measurement perspective and How do we break it apart to understand the when, the how, and more importantly, the why? Fantastic. Katie, what's your one essential piece of advice for our listeners on omni-channel success? So I think the one piece that I am continually challenging our team, so I'll break it down to 20 seconds for you, is to understand your omni-channel effect. So what's the value of an online touchpoint and the impact of that for online and offline sales. Fantastic. Matthew, final word to you. What's your one piece of essential advice? Yes, and a bit of a nod to how much of a pleasure it is to get to share a stage with Katie Neal and and to be able to call myself a colleague of hers over these last few years in our omni-channel strategy. I'd say none of us can singularly make our company omni-channel strategy successful on our own. And the success of our strategies are 100% a function of the strength of the collaboration and coordination between everyone touching uh, that, that part of your business. I think a perfect note to end on. Neha, Katie, Matthew, thank you for a great conversation. Cheers to you, Julia. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online, or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.